podcast of the Massachusetts Coastal Coalition. Host myself, Joe Rossi, and co-host and vice chair of the Massachusetts Coastal Coalition, Tim Williams. segment in there uh, called Coastal Connection, where uh, I try to um, try to get a message out, uh, a story out, um, and it comes off both as kind of fact and opinion. Um, We try to get facts out there and then kind of say, hey, you know what, this is what's going to happen to our stakeholders, or this is the effect on the stakeholders. This is a story about what's going on in the program and an opinion about what it could do to the stakeholders. And I think this past quarter's newsletter, uh, we introduced a subject that may have the greatest impact on our uh, stakeholders um, since we've ever, since we've been around, since we've been, because, you know, Bigger Waters, when we were formed in 2012 and Bigger Waters in 2013, um, that was a major hit to stakeholders um, because it increased rates at, I mean, two, three, four, five thousand percent increases in insurance rates, and it really caused a congressional calamity. Um, I'll trademark that. <laughs> exactly. And that word quite a bit. That, that's, that's exactly the word that was thrown around, um, and it basically forced Congress to pass in 2014 the Homeowners Flood Insurance Affordability Act, which rolled back a lot of those changes. Um, since then, um, since 2013, um, there has been no change bigger um, until the changes that we talked about in this past newsletter. And I personally am afraid that this new concept, and, and it's called risk rating 2.0, um, I'm afraid that this concept, even with our newsletter out there, is still going under the radar in terms of the changes coming down the pike. Oh, absolutely. This is definitely uh, something that is not on the average uh, homeowner out there that's in a, that has a flood policy or that's in a flood zone. They're not aware of this. No, and, no and, and I've seen some, you know, back in March when I was at the National Flood Association's um, conference out in Arizona, the head of the NFIP, um, David Marstad, um, spoke. And he announced some changes, uh, some of the risk rating 2.0 um, timelines and rollouts, and it got a lot of press. There was actually, I, I spoke at length to um, the Politico um uh, Politico was out there with a with a reporter, and they covered the announcement, and there were some other papers that covered the announcement. But the problem is, is because the timeline has been dragged out for another year and a half, a lot of those articles and a lot of the talk kind of ended. Um, and I guess the concern that we have at the coalition is making sure this conversation continues and making sure that, you know, when we publish this, this quarterly newsletter, it doesn't just fall flat after this, this quarter. Right. So real risk 2.0, Joe. Yeah. What are they doing differently for the, the stakeholder? I mean, we, we talk about this. There, the technologies out there, I think, we've the, the political football field, if you will, the bipartisan support has been dragging for five years now on reform and yep. trying to figure out what are they doing. Yep. You know, we know that 
that there's better technology out there to create better mapping, more accurate mapping, and those types of things. So what is their intent, and what are they trying to do? So let's introduce, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great question. So let's introduce what Risk Rating 2.0 is. Now, there's two names for this program. FEMA, for a long time, has called it the Triple R, Risk Rating Redesign. I don't like, I, and that covers both the risk rating section and the policy form section, because the second part of this that we won't even talk about is the redesign of the policy form. The reason we're not going to talk about that is because it has to go through rulemaking, and we're six to seven years away from that even happening. So we're not going to talk about the whole re risk, risk redesign of the, the, the triple R. Um, we're going to talk about risk rating 2.0. So what is it? Well, basically, when you go get a flood insurance policy right now and you're in a certain zone, um, without grandfathering and without any type of special rating, one structure is rated the same as another. Correct. You have a basement and an A zone. You're getting a rate that the next door neighbor with a basement and an A zone is getting the same rate. But so, so we, we, we've introduced this idea that one building is rated the same way as another and should have the same rate in the same situation if they're, right, you know, if they're in the same zone. This is, what, this is what the industry calls binary rating, right? There's an X zone, there's a rate. There's an A zone, there's a rate. There's a V zone, there's a rate for, cert, for that same building in that same situation. Well, what risk rating 2.0 is going to do, it's going to take that system. It's going to throw it out the window. It's going to totally throw it out the window. And, and just so to tie it all together, too, you mentioned mapping. Right now, those rates are based off of the flood insurance rate maps. Those are the maps that are created by FEMA, the regulatory maps that, are, that, that tell us what zone you're in so the lenders know. tells you what zone you're in so the building uh, officials in the towns know what elevation you should be built at. All of that's tied together under the mapping. It does a lot. The maps do a lot, and they inform you about the zone you're in so we can get a rate. Um, Risk rating 2.0 is actually going to take all of that and totally throw it out the window. We're going to basically take, uh, take it all, put it aside, and bring in this new system. So already I've probably scared, you know, 9% of the people yeah. listening. We just they're went through this us. in 2000. They're exactly. They're, they're coming to get it, and this is, yeah. you know, 2012 know all over again. Yeah, yeah. But I want to assure people, you know, there, there's a lot of, and, and Tim and I have talked offline, and there's a lot of hesitation around risk rating 2.0 um, in the non-industries, right? When we talk to consumers, when we talk to people about this program they're bringing on board, there's a lot of concern. And even the articles, you know, I love the articles that some of these news outlets have put out. Trump administration plans, Trump administration, um, you know, administration plans to jack rates or increase rates by 400%. I've seen that one recently. N none of that is true. And, and that's what I like to tell people is the, and, and this is what I've told FEMA, is perception is everything, right? The second that these stories start getting out there without rebuttals from FEMA, that's going to carry the day. Um, and I'm not saying that to defend risk rating 2.0. There's actually, and we'll talk about how there's a lot we don't know yet about it. But we want to inject facts into the conversation so that when people are listening to what's going on and hearing about this, they're not going to themselves kind of jump out the window with the rates, yeah, the old rates. This isn't like a, a Trump idea that came out two weeks ago. Exactly. Like, hey, I did it, and I'm, like, I'm a hero. It was been around for a while. It's been about a 10-year idea right. that has been kicking around for a while. So 
So Risk Radio 2.0 is basically going to take technology, information, data, um, hydraulic modeling, um, and it's going to put it all into one system that will generate you a rate. And that, will, that rate will be truly based on your risk for flooding. So this is, this is really revolutionary because in an A zone, if you're elevated high up in an A zone or you're you know, real low in that A zone, that A zone is that A zone. You're getting a rate sure. based on that A zone. Yeah. Elevation certificates aside, you know, elevation certificates even you know, are only basing you off of your elevation in relation to that flood elevation, not the land elevation necessarily unless you get a letter of map amendment, which is a whole different story. So. What Risk Rating 2.0 does is it takes in each individual building's risk for flooding and calculates a rate specific for that building versus a generalized rate for a zone. So what we do is we're going from a binary system, X zone, A zone, B zone, and we go to what's called a graduated rating system. So it's graduated based on distance to coast, land elevation, first floor elevations, um, elevation, uh, hydraulic modeling. Right. So let's let's stop there. Okay. Go back to the stakeholder side here. <laughs> okay. So, Tim, so, Tim, just so everyone knows, Tim brings me back from going on these long, no, detailed. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I think we've we've gotten to the technical aspect of we what have. we're trying to do, but it's about yep. you know that A zone. All right. So we're getting into that A zone now, and under the under the system that we have now, and with the rate is the rate, but we got a mapping system. Let's say for most of the people who are, who are our stakeholders in Massachusetts, let's say it's an A zone with a 14-foot elevation. Sure. Printed so on that map. It's printed yep. on that map. Yep. So now everything is 14 feet. So under the real risk thing, it's hard for people to imagine a 14-foot wave coming over the land. That's right. You know, the land may be at elevation 6, but let's just call it 14. So under real risk, it may not be as bad as it sounds because they might say, we know there's only going to be 3 feet of water or ideally – six feet of water in this area, in this A zone. Some others might get two. Others could get a, a lot more water, you know, depending on what's happening. So, so, so exactly. So, so what's going to happen is when you, when we run rates now as insurance professionals for, for our, our stakeholders, um, that rate, to Tim's point, is very specific based on what your actual risk, your actual risk is. So, you know, you may be in an area now that is, you know, the maps say this entire area large area of A zone is A zone AE14, right? All the way through. All the way through. Well, some places maybe have 14 foot elevation for water, but other areas may not. And and that really is a snapshot of what risk rating 2.0 is going to be able to do. Um, the other thing it's going to be able to do is it's going to eliminate the requirement for you to get an elevation certificate. So how are they going to do that? Well, what's really interesting is they have so much technology going into this. There are companies who already estimate your land elevation and your first floor elevation by things like Google Images, right? You can go to the first you Google Maps. You can go to the first. You can go to the street view and see the building. If they know where the land is, you can count steps. Now you know how high up the first floor is. Um, and you can get an idea of that building. So it's not just land. There's a lot of data that's going into this. Um, so what's going to happen is once Risk Rating 2.0 comes on online, you know, the, the, and we'll talk about timelines in just a second, um, your rating is going to be more accurate for the flood risk that you're actually going to have. Now, 
the scary thing is, is we, you know, we've had a lot of people ask us, well, okay, so what are my rates going to be? When I was at the National Flood Association conference um, back in March, um, FEMA was very honest, and they said they have come up, they've come up with the modeling, they've come up with the data, they've come up with all the necessary pieces, but they don't have rates yet. So, so scary. it is a little scary. <laughs> I, yeah, it's scary. No, it's scary. It is. It's just not being uh, conveyed out there. It, it isn't, but I can tell you that rates probably will be developed in the June, July, August time frames, um, and, and that's when uh, we're going to get a better idea of what that can be compared to, to today's today's rating program. So there's no comparison we can do right now. But, but here's the thing. What, what FEMA is going to do with Risk Rain 2.0 is once this information generates you a rate, you can actually add data to it to get a better rate. So, you know, let's just say you don't have an elevation certificate and we get a rate of $3,000. Sure. And you get an elevation certificate that's beneficial to you, it actually refines that rate so that it's actually more, it goes down. Yeah. So, and then, and then the other big important thing is the insurance rating is moving away from the rating maps. So these models that are created, these models are modeling individual risk, not what the maps show the risk being. Now, what does that mean? We don't know. You know how, I guess the big question in the, in the industry that everyone is still grappling with is, so the maps are used today for insurance, lending, and building compliance. And communities for CRS. Exactly. So, so community use. Yeah, community we'll use. Community yeah. use. So if you remove you know, the insurance piece from that, now you have a whole separate world of modeling and mapping for insurance and then a separate map for building compliance and lending. How those two worlds merge together, that's another challenge that I don't think they've answered yet for risk rating 2.0 um, because we also want to make sure we continue to build in compliance with flood maps. Now, a lot of people will say, well, the current flood mapping is garbage and it doesn't mean anything. I like to tell people that, yeah, but we still have the best mapping program in the whole world. There's no other program in this world that tries to map and model flood risk than the program we have now. So, so we're at least doing it. We're at least doing it. Could it be better? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's why we're moving away from maps for insurance purposes. But, you know, so, so the maps that we have still have to inform us on how we do things. I guess that's a challenge that we're running into. Yeah, it's definitely on mapping as, as a whole. You know, if yeah. you think about our communities and the towns that have looked at maps and spent, you know, thousands of dollars hiring engineering firms to do their own maps mm -hmm. against these. Um, you know, and then we have states like North Carolina that are, are using LIDAR technology to do all of, of some of their mapping. Super accurate mapping. Super accurate mapping. Yeah. So there's a lot that we can be doing. I, I just don't, you know, and that's part of the reform. I guess the NFIP has been uh, lobbying, you know, Congress and legislative people have been pushing for. Better LIDAR. Better, yeah, better, better mapping light, in better general, mapping right? In general, I mean, yeah. that's one of the big things. So we'll see how real risk Kind of does that. Well, that's, and I think that's an industry question. We have a guest coming on, uh, calling in later, who's actually going to be um, talking, a national figure in the industry who's going to be talking, um, actually helped co-author the, the article uh, in this past newsletter um, with me, who's going to be talking about his perspective from a national perspective um, on Risk Rain 2.0. He's got a little bit more insight than, than we do about what's actually happening behind the scenes. So that'll be really interesting and get his thoughts on some of this. Will we still do 
2 mapping once risk rating 2.0 comes out because the mapping is done by models and the models will be based will now be what the risk is based on. So do we even need the mapping program anymore? Can we take the $400 million a year and turn it into a live model rather than a printed map? That's right. a question. I don't know. Yeah. I, they, I don't what know. Are they, what are they using for the model? What, what type of storms and things are probability for mapping and like for, for damage? Yeah, well, and, and so, the, and that's a whole, well, and exactly, and that's a whole nother, I mean, we could do a whole podcast just on the cat models they're using to come up with because there's, they're apparently fairly conservative models and FEMA has stated that the rates that you're getting cannot be challenged, the data behind that can't be challenged. You can add better data, but you can't take the data that's existing and challenge it. So how is that going to work? What is that going to look like? And, and I want to finally touch on one thing that, that you brought up earlier, which is, you know, the consistency across the right Sharon. So those right. that are listening that yeah. might not know, you know, their FEMA has authorized insurance companies to implement the flood program for them. They, they're called right Sharon's. Um, there are companies like Assurance Selective, National General, Hartford, the companies that we all know, Allstate, those types right. of companies. Yeah. Um, they're, they have proprietary rating systems, and, a lot, and sometimes, I've run into this before, where one rating system comes up with a little bit of a different rate than another. So there's inconsistencies sometimes between rating systems. Well, FEMA's going to change that. I think this is a benefit to the consumer, Absolutely, where there will yeah. be a central FEMA rater that all the right your owns tap into and pull rates from. So I think, as a, as a, and I think Tim would agree, as a stakeholder or advocate, you know, I think this is a benefit because it, you you get consistency across carriers. Yeah, and you, 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 you want that. You don't want um, one carrier, you know, or making an interpretation of what it is. Exactly. Versus another one. Exactly, and where that building could be. I mean, we've had situations where one carrier is going to reach you in a B zone, another is going to reach you in an A zone, not because of a determination issue, but because they've looked at the map and they go, well, based on where this building is, we don't think we can grandfather you based on where you are, and so you get changes, that inconsistency as well. Yeah, I suppose when you, when the other inconsistency that might be eliminated by this is all the elevation certificates that are out there. And the inconsistencies across elevation certificates. I, 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 I think the simplification, so, so here's where I come from, and I think in my article I say that cautiously optimistic has been the word that many different stakeholder groups and consumers have, have used about risk rating 2.0. I'm cautiously optimistic that this will actually simplify the program so that when we're talking to people, we can finally communicate that risk factor. Yeah, I, I think I think I'm cautiously optimistic, but I also want to state that you know we're going to need our stakeholders to voice their opinions because nothing is ever perfect. That's right, and we're going to have to come back and respond quickly so that they make changes and improvements to this as it goes forward. Because well, yeah. you know the first it's always the first edition of of this. There'll be. 2.1 or 2.5 by the time, <laughs> time we get going here. Yeah, uh, but I like that. That's the question I have for Scott. It's going to be, you know, you know, because how fast can we we make these changes? Because you know, there were homeowners on bigger blocks. It, it, they move quick, but it's still not quick enough. That, that's a good. I love that risk rating 2.1, 2.2. It, it definitely it's, will happen. It, it, that's so. It'll so be like funny. Windows, you know. Yeah. IE 11. That's know, so funny. That. Um, that that's a great. Well, and that's a great point. And I think you bring up you brought up an important piece, which is the time frame, right? So so this was supposed to be rolled out initially April 1st of this year. Government shutdown, some internal issues around this, the, the fact that there's still a lot to grapple with pushed this off fairly um, 
long, um, we're now looking at a release of rates and information, not an implementation, but a release of the information April 1st of 2020 and a full implementation October 1st of 2020. Now, for me, you know, it's great that this was pushed down the road a little because we needed more time to dissect the issue. Um, the concern I have, and I'm sure you do, is that's only about a six-month window between April 1st and October 1st. That's and, not enough time. And, and here's, the, here's the problem. The Right Your Owns have a 90-day billing cycle. So, yeah. so they're going to be billing out four months into the program at the very least. So they have four months to basically say, okay, this is, this is here, here are the rates, and let's model these rates before they're implemented, but now here's your bill because it's coming up to October yeah, 1st. It, that's my fear there is it's not enough time, not enough time. For, for people to respond to the issues that pop up. And, and FEMA, and I think it's important to, to highlight that, FEMA has, has made the decision or the interpretation that they have the authority to do this without congressional approval. Now, Congress has become immediately involved. FEMA has stated that they do give monthly updates to, to, a, to a congressional delegation. So they're getting quarter or, or monthly updates about what's happening behind the scenes. And we've heard that there is a potential that Congress may actually intervene and pass legislation to stop risk rating 2.0, which is the real wild card here sure. um, that could come down. So what we want to do is encourage a simplification of the program and a better way to communicate risk. What we don't want to do is throw out the program and then realize that we need risk rating. I'll use your term because I love it so much, risk rating 2.1, 2, and take, you know, a year of heartache of, of premium increases to realize that that is, that's what we need. Right. Yeah. So with all that, we've, we've talked about a lot about it, and you may, as listeners, you may still not understand what risk rating 2.0 is. So we do have coming up next a special guest, uh, Scott Giberson from CoreLogic, who is going to be uh, on the program to actually talk about, from the national perspective, what risk rating 2.0 is, his perspective, what he sees, how this affects the you know, all the different industries, because this is going to affect all, all the industries, though. I think it's important to, to, to talk about to our, our stakeholders that the industries all affect them. Lending affects them. Surveying affects them. FEMA affects them. All these industries, insurance industries affect yeah, them. And then you look at the different regions that we have, you know, from Miami to Boston to residential to commercial yep. to riverine areas. I mean, there's a lot they have to take in. So, Tim, you know, we just uh, spent some time on our own thoughts and opinions on risk rating 2.0 based on the information that we have um, and some of the stuff that we've heard over the last few months, which hasn't been a lot. Right. Um, but, you know, I um, just got done a couple weeks ago um, attending the National Flood Conference where FEMA was a little bit more revealing about some of the information um, about risk rating 2.0. Um, and I would say I don't know if it relieved any of the uh, anxiety that maybe the industry has on this, but sure, it certainly sure. it certainly was helpful to um, understand, um, you know, a little bit more of the details. Um, and speaking of details, you know, we are honored here to have um, from CoreLogic the compliance principal for flood services, um, Scott Giberson, who is going to speak to us on his own thoughts and opinions. Again, not that these are CoreLogic's thoughts um, or right. opinions, but really his take since he is a leader in the industry when it comes to insurance, lending compliance, mapping, and, and that um, from 
on the national level. So, Scott, uh, thank you so much for, for being on the No Flood Newscast. Hey, you're welcome, gentlemen. Glad to be here. Um, so I guess, you know, I'll start things off in, in our discussion here. You know, one of the reasons that we wanted you on the newscast today um, is really to uh, talk to us about what you're hearing on the national level um, between some questions that we have here at the, at the more regional level and also some of the concerns um, and thoughts you might be hearing in other places of the industry. So maybe it will be helpful to kind of start this off. We gave our thoughts on what risk rating to point out was earlier, you know, what is in your in your mind and in your world, what is this risk rating 2.0, you know, maybe a little bit of background, um, how it works and, and who it'll, it'll really impact? Sure. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Uh, well, it's, it's a big deal. I'll start off saying risk rating 2.0 is a big deal in my opinion. Uh, according to the NFIP, it's it is a redesign of the risk rating system. It's intended to improve the overall customer experience as well as to improve the accuracy of the premium rates based on more actual flood risk for a given property. If you know, I, I, I compare it to a current state to what looks to be the future state, the current state is really where we've been for uh, decades, which you know, last year uh, the NFIP celebrated its its 50th anniversary, and I would say for most of those 50 years, the rating in many ways stayed the same, the rating structure, their, their methodology to, to rating. And, and to put it, um, to put it uh, briefly, uh, that rating has historically been based on flood zone, uh, building type, the age of the structure, plus a few other variables, and, and including potential discounts or surcharges based on communities such as community rating system or such as if the community is, is, in the, is on probation with the NFIP. But determinative of this is the flood zone. The flood zone has really been a key element uh, of that rating structure. So even to affect the type of policy that someone's eligible for, as well as the rate table itself that's used. So if a property is in flood zone AE, you refer to this table. If it's in flood zone X, you refer to this table. So very determinative of the, the ultimate rate and the ultimate premium that a policyholder will pay. So take that as kind of current state and historical state. And risk rating 2.0 really potentially turns it on its head, uh, making the flood zone much less critical to the uh, or, you know, the ultimate premium paid by the policyholder. And this is really by design. Part of this, if you if you listen to the very early stages of what NFIP was talking about, risk rating 2.0, it, it, some of it was targeted at getting away from the significance of that line. And you mentioned mapping. Part of what we do, of course, is use FEMA's maps to determine what, what uh, flood zone a given structure is in. This is a an attempt that appears to be at reducing the significance of the line between flood zones. So, with that in mind, we do see that uh, you know the policy will be the rate of that policy will be less determined by uh, the flood zone uh, of a given structure. So instead, what we're going to do? We're moving with risk rating 2.0. We're moving to multiple factors about a property. 
calculation of that premium rate based upon a structure-specific risk assessment. So while we don't know all of the risk factors, if you will, that will go into this, what we do understand is that flood zone X, flood zone AE, flood zone BE, again, are not going to uh, be as significant uh, in that. There's going to be, let's think about distance to the river, distance to the coast. They're also factoring in the, the cost to rebuild that home and the pond damage. Uh, and this all, what my understanding is, this will all give you ultimately a, a base rate, if you will. And then if the policyholder has information that could adjust that based on, let's say, floodproofing or based on the mitigation efforts or based on an elevation certificate, that, that information can then be supplementary to this rate, uh, again, adjusting it based on uh, how much value, if you will, the um, grade 2.0 engine gives it. Now, with that, let me just say what you mentioned about who will impact. You know, I'd say potentially every stakeholder is going to be impacted, certainly the policyholders. If you think about the large part of the discussion going on in Washington and across the country around the NFIP, it seems like so much of it is about, uh, really at the, at the core, is about how much money the NFIP is taking in and then how much, and its ability to pay claims at the end of the day, certainly coming out of, uh, out of Sandy, uh, that was the case, and, and storms since then. And certainly it drives conversations on affordability. We already seen elected officials uh, come out uh, with opinions about what they perceive as grading 2.0 to, to be. And so I would say in effect it may very well affect all the stakeholders in one way or another. Well, I think that's an extremely comprehensive uh, overview. I think that probably encapsulates almost everything that we know anyways about, you know, where this is heading. Tim, what, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, it, it, immediately it makes me think of, you know, what's going to happen to stakeholders that may be in like an X zone next to a V zone where they can get an in, inexpensive policy because they're in an X zone. You know, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that anymore because they're going to be so close to that line, you know, or what's going to happen with those types of policyholders or, you know, in the Northeast, Scott, you know, we've got a lot of pre-firm houses, you know, and what, what, what that would do for grandfathering or these pre-firm subsidies. Are they going to go away right away? Or would you see FEMA kind of talking about gradually, you know, increasing these rates for those folks? Yes, that's certainly been uh, one of the uh, immediate reactions from uh, stakeholder groups is, is what about grandfathering, what about uh, these subsidies. And my understanding uh, is, that, is that their intent is to, uh, is to not uh, you know, remove those. Some of, these, some, of these are, some of these are statutory, some are programmatic, but my understanding is that they intend on uh, keeping uh, some of that in place and how that works. It's kind of difficult to to understand. Um, I don't think uh, I could be wrong. I don't think that um, NFIP has released a, a great amount of detail as to uh, how that's going to be uh, maintained. Um, Scott, you know, you work a lot in the in the lending world, 
and there has been a lot of talk about how does, you know, we have kind of, NFIP is kind of a three-legged school, stool, right? You got insurance, you got mapping, and you got grants, and then there's there's other people think the fourth is, is uh, there's a fourth leg in terms of um, uh, mitigation measures. Um, so, but you've got, so you've got these three core legs of a stool, and now it would seem with risk rating 2.0, you're creating about three more legs to that stool. So you've got now insurance being rated separately than the maps, and you've got lenders that still have to interact with stakeholders based on certain laws that involve, you know, the current flood maps. So how do you see, you know, it impacting the world of, of lending versus insurance? Yeah, that's a that's a huge one. Um, certainly for uh, for the business that, that I'm in, as we support uh, lender compliance as well as supporting uh, the Right Your Own program uh, with flood map information. Uh, so we've been trying to stay very close uh, to this, obviously, for the obvious reasons that uh, this is impacting our our client base as well as as well as our business. I think. Um, the FIPs use the word transformation uh, to describe risk rating 2.0, and I think that's uh, pretty appropriate. And in a, several conversations that I've been in with uh, with uh, members of, of FEMA within this uh, risk rating 2.0 group, their their immediate take has been, you know, it's it's not intended to impact the lender compliance. It's not intended to impact the uh, floodplain management uh, leg of the stool. Um, but they also acknowledge that they can see it doing so over time. And that that does seem to um, that, that does seem to make some sense. You know, Tim, you, you mentioned the you know, the mapping and the edge between, let's say, zone B, E, and zone X, you know, yeah. one being the coastal or high hazard risk zone and one being the low to moderate risk zone. And, and, and naturally, there's, uh, there's a line. That's the, the nature of maps. Um, so it's, it's not, not hard to foresee uh, situations in the future in which um, you know, that, that line is really... Tested and, and, and not as, and even maybe more so because uh, of what what is on the other side of that with with the with the insurance rates. You know, we're not sure what that's going to look like with you know the VE versus X. There might be some maybe there's some topography that makes that make sense that maybe VE really should end there and there really should be low risk on the other side of that line. You know, there's there's um, it's a big country out there, and there's all there's all kinds of uh, geographic and topographic uh, scenarios that, that sometimes um, sometimes makes sense as you as you look at a map. Uh, but it's certainly uh, it's it's easy to see where rating conversations can lead into or dictate some of these other conversations or affect some of these other conversations about lender compliance, uh, use of the maps for that purpose, uh, and and it's not being used over here for the insurance, um, ultimately, you know, how much that person pays after being told yes or no, and they're coming over here, and the conversation is a different one, um, more nuanced perhaps with risk rate 2.0. Um, 
that's that's it's really going to be an interesting world. Yeah, and, and Scott, one of the things that um, is not a concern, but uh, can you talk a little bit about the timeline for risk grading 2.0? Um, we're hearing, you know, there's a six-month implementation. You know, Congress is actively trying to do their reforms. Will that have an effect on how this is 2.0 is going to roll out? And, you know, what's that time frame kind of look like? So, uh, my understanding, and, and I don't think anything uh, to the contrary was was shared at the Fed conference, but correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, uh, that uh, they are still, NFIP is still targeting uh, October uh, 2020 uh, for uh, the re release or the effectiveness of these rates, so for new policies issued um, or policy renewals, uh, that they would be rated based on risk rating 2.0 at least for single family uh, re residential structures is, is my understanding. And as far as the interplay between risk rating 2.0 and Congress, I think it's you know about to get fairly interesting. Uh, and and the, conversation, the conversation will continue, I think, after the rates are, are released. I think what we're hearing Again, from some elected officials, is you, know, you need to show more now. We need more transparency. We need to understand details now, so that we're not in a position like we saw after BW12, where folks, after the fact, are, are claiming to be surprised about the impact of, of removing subsidies, etc. So they're really they're keeping that in mind. I think what happened with BW12, uh, and and trying to get in there earlier uh, with NFIP uh, to try to, uh, again, avoid some of that. However, um, you know, until, until it's put into practice, um, you know, I think, I think we, you know, some of the, the jury may still be out uh, for some time. Uh, I think the next you know, two NFIPs and FEMA's credit, uh, they are out. Um, they are out and, and visiting with stakeholder groups and, and spending time on on Capitol Hill, uh, they're talking about it. Uh, they're, they're not shying away from having conversations about um, risk rate 2.0. However, uh, I think some of it still, uh, we still want more. And our stakeholders coming out of the flood conference, uh, my takeaway was, uh, or from visiting with people, is, is they still wanted more. You know, they're not getting while they're involved with NFIP and people are talking about it. They just don't have the granular detail to share at this point. Um, and, and so I think at least some folks still wanting more information and more understanding about the data behind it. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what, um, uh, that's exactly kind of transitions into kind of, you know, what we um, were going to talk about next. You alluded to this earlier. Um, we don't really know the data, the core data yet. We've got an idea, but is there anything that you look at when you're looking at data? Because obviously core logic and, and in your role, you know, it's a data, you, you're really data heavy. Um, but, but what do you see in terms of the data that could be going in? And, and again, you've already talked a little bit about this, but, you know, when we were talking about this, we were looking at, you know, what the NFIP has put out in terms of, you know, ground elevation and distance to coast and stuff. I mean, you know, what, what do you see, though, as, as some of the important data that could go into a system like this? Yeah, I uh, credit, uh, credit NFIP for, uh, for reaching out to uh, 
uh, private industry in this area uh, to to hear from industry as to uh, how are they doing it, uh, how would they be doing it, uh, what are the types of uh, data points and, and risk uh, risk information that that would be a part of this, and and so and, and of course I've just been part of some of those conversations as well and. And like you mentioned, we have CoreLogic has uh, not only an ex extensive uh, property record database, but also uh, has uh, risk models and risk scoring, uh, etc. So we we do understand um, you know, what it takes uh, to to build something like this, and, and so we see the NFIP is trying, you know, is attempting to do something that the private market has done and is doing. So, Scott, when you were talking about this, and I can see this being an advantage to real risk rating 2.0, is the, um, you know, the private market is kind of cherry-picking the, the, the decent or the good risk off, off, the, off the NFIP, and it's kind of giving this adverse effect right now because there's such a discrepancy in rating between what you're seeing on some of the NFIP policies versus the private. Is there any data they know of, like, you know, how many policies they're losing to the private market versus what's being kept on the books so they know the losses? Is there any way to them for them to quantify that? I mean, it's, it sounds like, the, you know, this is headed to the right direction to kind of even the playing field among 
private versus NFIP. I mean, we're always going to have NFIP there. Yeah, and I, the I extension see, of what it's supposed to do. Yeah, and I see it's a, that's a good question, Tim, because I see it as as the NFIP become, becoming part of a marketplace, right? Correct. So now you've got more of a hey, private and NFIP. They're relatively similar versus having these huge gaps. Um, so, Scott, I don't know if that's something that you you have data behind, or it's something that we're seeing in the industry. Yeah, don't uh, you know the private insurers uh, are not you know, required to disclose you know, all of their their data points. We we know uh, through some of the trades and through like some of the um, uh, the state uh, insurance regulators have have made some of it data available. So what what we know is that it is growing um, and it's it's grown. Exponentially in the last several years, in terms of number of policies in place, uh, on the residential side at least, the growth has been there. You know, as commercial, as you know, this is really this conversation is primarily about the impact on the, on the personal yeah. side. Commercials have you know, had private in place for years, uh, but yes, rates or the policy counts have increased uh, considerably over the last uh, 17 years. Still a small small percentage relative to the NFIP. Uh, market. I don't know of, of data that the NFIP has made available related to um, to this. Uh, and it's some may be difficult to know. If somebody's on renews, they don't necessarily know uh, that they, they're going to go behind that and pick up a private policy. If there is a cancellation for uh, a private policy and you know, that's permitted, that, if that ultimately ends up being permitted, then then uh, they may know that, but I, I don't know that the NFIP is aware of kind of the, what the direct losses uh, related to the growth of the private market. Do you think that do you think that um, risk rating 2.0 will help to um, foster both markets, or do you think it will help to just the NFIP um, or just private? Yeah, this I was in a, in a conversation um, earlier today. Lender compliance side. And, and, uh, at the same time as, as this is going on, we have uh, the, the regulators, on, the banking regulators, issue a final rule uh, that uh, it becomes effective July 1 uh, that uh, governs uh, the federally regulated lending institutions, uh, banks, credit unions, and, other, and others. And so the, the essence of the final rule is that um, now it sets forth the, the regulations by which lenders must accept uh, private flood insurance policies. So you know, one, would, one would think immediately, well, that's going to be a boon to the private market. And then and this conversation earlier, there it brought up about this grading 2.0 kind of in the running alongside of this. And you know, my, my personal thought is, may see a, a pause perhaps, you know, maybe it won't be tangible, but some may pause to see on the private side to kind of see the impact uh, because it is going to uh, presumably, you know, right rate some of these things, correct some of the, what's in the current rating structure that the private market was able to take advantage of. There's some things built into the existing rating that could uh, make make some risk very attractive for the private market. 
Scott, we uh, we really appreciate appreciate you uh, coming on to to the podcast and the No Flood Newscast. Um, in closing, is there anything you want to leave our listeners with? Um, any messages about either risk rating 2.0 or any of the topics we we addressed today? Because I know we talked a little bit about everything <laughs> around risk rating 2.0, private flood, lender compliance. Anything you want to leave our listeners with? who is the compliance principal for flood services over in Morocco. Thank you, Scott.